0: Julie, I'm looking forward to today's episode. We get to take a big picture view of U.S. economic and budgets and how that's going to impact the tax
1: outlook. And Margie, I'm excited too. I think the most interesting piece is Drew Lyon is going to really, from an economic point of view, weave in how certain factors can affect where we're going in the future. So let's talk tax. You're
0: listening to Tap into Tax, PwC's podcast series covering current regulatory, legislative, and technology hot topics through the lens of our tax technical leaders, as well as process and technology subject matter specialists.
1: This podcast features discussions with some of our leading minds around tax, trade, and domestic policy. Stay tuned to our regular updates and subscribe to our series to get notified as new episodes are published. Margie, I am so excited for today's episode. We're going to hear about the U.S. Economic and Budget Outlook. That's right, Julie. Today
0: we are joined by Drew Lyon, a PwC principal who leads our National Economics and Statistics Group. Drew previously served as Deputy Assistant Treasury Secretary for Tax Policy. As an economist, he's been focusing on the U.S. economic and budget outlook. Drew, welcome to Tap into Tax.
2: Thanks for having me, Margie and Julie.
1: Drew, in our prior Tap into Tax podcast, we spoke with Rohit Kumar and Pat Brown, who are our Washington National Tax Service policy leaders. And they were focusing on the tax proposals of Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden. You know, the outcome of proposals by the two presidential candidates On corporate and individual tax rates, for example, will depend on the election results and also on the overall state of the US economy and budget deficits. So, Drew, will you tell us about these economic factors and where we are right now?
2: Thanks, Julie. Let me start with the good news. We're in a strong recovery right now. In the third quarter, estimates of GDP growth are in the neighborhood of 20% on an annualized basis, meaning 5% growth relative to the second quarter. That's record growth. Unfortunately, the bad news is that this is a recovery from the worst recession since the Great Depression. Just to remind you where we were back earlier this spring, in March and April, the economy had lost 22 million jobs. That was 14 and percent of all jobs. As a percent of the workforce, that's a job loss greater than the combined job loss in all recessions over the past 40 years. GDP in the second quarter was down 9.5% relative to the first quarter, or 32.9% on an annualized basis. Another record, uh, unfortunately, this time on the downturn. Since April, however, we've regained about 40% of the jobs lost in March and April. Even so, that leaves 12.9 million jobs still lost relative to where we were before the recession began. And that level of job loss is 50% greater than the job loss in the 2008-2009 recession. So we're still at a very weak point in the economy. The unemployment rate in July was 10.2%, and that exceeds the peak unemployment rate of 10% reached in the 2008-2009 recession. The federal government had a very strong fiscal response, and that fiscal response prevented a worst outcome uh, in terms of unemployment and the downturn in GDP. Major legislation passed this spring, most importantly, the CARES Act, put nearly $3 trillion of tax cuts and spending out into the economy in 2020 and 2021, most of that front-loaded into 2020. But now again, the downside, eventually there's going to be a price to pay for that increased debt. The Congressional Budget Office in May estimated that the budget deficit for this year may be as high as $3.7 trillion. That's about 18% of GDP, another record. That deficit adds to the total amount of outstanding federal debt, which the Congressional Budget Office forecast by the end of next year. Will reach 108% of GDP. That's uh, a percent of GDP higher than the previous peak reached shortly after uh, the end of World War II. The concern with that high debt burden is that down the road, the interest expense on that debt is going to impose a significant burden on the federal government's finances. And then from an economy perspective, that debt is also potentially drawing away capital that would otherwise be into the economy and be driving productivity growth and economic growth.
1: Wow, Drew, those are some sobering percentages and statistics. So with all of that, what's on the horizon? Is the economic outlook becoming more certain?
2: Julie, it's been very clear since March that the path of the recovery will depend on our success in suppressing the virus. And while there are many hopeful signs in terms of treatment and testing and hope for a vaccine that is approved for use by the end of the year, we haven't yet contained the virus. In looking at the range of economic projections from professional forecasters for GDP growth in the year ahead, from the most pessimistic to the most optimistic, there's a tremendous range. Looking out over the next four quarters, the range in estimates in GDP growth is about six percentage points difference between the most optimistic and the most pessimistic. In normal times, we might only expect about a one percentage point difference in those forecasts. And longer range forecasts differ by even more. Let me mention some of the factors. Obviously, the uncertainty on the virus. Uh, But if you look at other sort of direct economic factors, normally we look to the Federal Reserve to be helping stimulate the economy through monetary policy. But they've already reduced the interest rates as low as they can go, or as low as they've said they can go. They're, They're constrained by what we call the zero lower bound. They would have to provide negative interest rates to go lower than where they are today. So that limits how much further help we can expect to get from the Federal Reserve. Secondly, we're seeing state and local governments impacted by reduced tax receipts, higher expenditures. So they're cutting their budgets, cutting employment, and that will have further effects throughout the economy. Third, this virus is a global pandemic. So it's not just the U.S. that's in the downturn. Uh, it's, It's many economies around the world, many economies that are suffering worse than the U.S., And so we can't rely on export-led growth uh, helping us get out of it. And then a fourth factor that Rohit and Pat Brown touched on in their podcast uh, is the uncertainty of federal policy. In July, it seemed a virtual certainty that we would have another $1 trillion to $3 trillion uh, of new legislation being passed to be providing relief right now. It's difficult to know what Congress will do when they take it up again in September. And then a a fifth factor, in addition to the uncertainty of the virus, some of the uncertainty going forward is uncertainty in how much of the changes we've observed in the way businesses operate and consumers spend will persist. We've seen an accelerated adoption of new technologies as businesses have been forced to operate remotely or with social distancing restrictions. Take video conferencing, for example. We expect business travel will not return to pre-pandemic levels once the virus is conquered. And what will this mean for workers in the travel, hotel, and restaurant industries? Many will need to find work with new employers, uh, new professions, and that reallocation of employment will take time.
1: Drew, your overview of these uncertainty factors, I think, has been really key because You said it so well. These have caused a great deal of disruption for businesses and for their tax functions. And overall, what implications do you see
2: going forward? Well, it's a tough economic environment to navigate, given the uncertainty of the virus. And it's not made easier by the policy uncertainty coming out of Washington. As we've discussed, we've already seen record budget deficits and debt. While the fiscal support helped the unemployment rate uh, not go as high as it would have otherwise and prevented a larger decline in GDP, the large deficits have made, particularly Republicans in Washington, more cautious on the form that further assistance takes. And just as a benchmark, Each trillion dollars in additional spending and tax relief will increase the debt by 5% of GDP, which is an extraordinary amount uh, by historical comparisons, especially when we're already at these record high levels. Regarding tax policy, in our prior podcast, uh, Rohit Kumar and Pat Brown talked about various tax policy proposals. The deficit will have an important impact on tax and other policy decisions going forward. And as Pat and Rohit discussed, it will also uh, depend on whether we see a change in party control in the Senate and the White House. Among the policy changes that are already on the agenda are some important changes uh, set to take place with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act over the next couple of years. In 2022, The interest limitation under Section 163J is scheduled to become more restrictive as it switches from an EBITDA base to EBIT. And then there's another provision uh, scheduled to provide five-year amortization of research expenses. Businesses had hoped that Congress would reconsider both of these provisions before 2022. And nearly every year after that, Congress is going to face equally different questions. In 2023, 100% expensing is scheduled to begin a five-year phase out. And after 2025, all of the TCJA individual tax relief is set to expire. Uh, The following year, beginning in 2026, higher tax rates under GILTI, BEAT, and FDII are set to take effect. And if this uncertainty regarding income tax policy is not enough, another think tank in Washington, D.C., the Bipartisan Policy Center, has estimated that if the recovery from the current recession is similar to that of the 2008-2009 recession, the Social Security Trust Fund may be exhausted in 2029 rather than the prior forecast of 2035.
0: So, Drew, there are so many moving parts here. What are you hearing from clients as to how they are managing this unprecedented level of economic disruption?
2: Well, Margie, many clients are understandably taking a wait-and-see approach on major decisions due to the economic uncertainty, although we do see some clients with growth opportunities that are moving forward with investments. Companies are also thinking about no-regret actions, actions that may provide positive impacts for the business, regardless of the speed of the recovery. Generally speaking, many companies are accelerating their technology strategy, which seems to fit well with this no-regret approach. In addition, the C-suite is focused on agility. Going forward, they have to be prepared for potentially bumpy road, uh, but they don't want to lose sight of their long-term vision and goals. And cost reduction is also a critical focus for many companies, both to improve their profitability, uh, but also to bolster their liquidity should the recovery be slow. And leading tax functions are following this broader business strategy and placing emphasis on leveraging technology, readiness, and cost reduction.
0: Drew, that is exactly what I'm hearing from my clients as well. I'm hearing generally that our leading tax functions are evaluating no-regret actions to help them mitigate the disruption, including a lot of this economic uncertainty. So although they depend upon particular companies' facts and circumstances, we're seeing some common trends. So just to run through, the common trends we're seeing are one. Leading functions are evaluating and bolstering their modeling capabilities. So, as Rohit Kumar and Pat Brown noted in the prior podcasts, as companies are pivoting quickly to deal with the current economic environment, their businesses are asking the tax department to provide more data related insights on a real time basis to help make business making decisions possible. We're also seeing leading tax functions are evaluating their ability to do modeling more quickly. So they're moving at the speed of business, or as Pat Brown mentioned, moving at the speed of policy. We're also hearing that many clients, rather than boiling the ocean, they're focusing on a few key areas that are really going to move the needle for their organization and are focusing deeply on those areas rather than everything across the board. Next, we're seeing they are strengthening their tax ecosystem, particularly for core compliance tasks, such as forecasting and provisioning, so that they're able to deliver quickly. As economic disruption continues, these tasks will become more challenging, and they will also require more team effort across various headquarter functions, so it is more important than ever to capture efficiencies. And last but not least, we're seeing leading tax departments reevaluating the tax function organizational design. Leading tax functions may be thinking outside the box in order to save cost and obtain the desired level of agility going forward. They can do so by considering approaches such as, do you need to use loan staff? Do you need to use flexible resourcing? Are you co-sourcing? Are you outsourcing? And how do you tap into the expertise that you need so you can do your modeling accurately and provide insight to your business decision makers? And from a global perspective, we're seeing many companies look for a single outsource service provider. They just need to get this responsibility off of their to-do list. And this trend is being driven by businesses wanting to embrace a level of tax risk governance through standardized data collection processes and platforms and enabling sufficient compliance transparency so they can show that they're mitigating their risks and they're prepared to respond when the authorities come knocking.
1: You know, Margie and Drew, I am hearing similar sentiments. And Margie, I want to come back to the first point you were making on modeling, because what I'm hearing the most about is that tax functions have a significantly heightened interest in modeling. Yes, that depends on the specific company, but generally a heightened interest in modeling because they want to keep the C-suite informed and up to date on potential financial impacts. And so tax executives are identifying two or three issues that could really impact them and they're modeling the most likely outcome of those issues. Examples would include a potential corporate income tax rate increase. I know we've heard that a lot as we were talking with Rohit and Pat and also speaking with you, Drew. That's one that is key that most companies are focusing on. Where do they think that would land? And they're also looking at other changes that could otherwise impact their tax attributes. That's a real key area. So I do think modeling is one of those very notable functions that we're seeing the tax departments focus on. So there's more to come on this topic as we gain greater certainty on the economic outlook, the election, and resulting tax policy decisions. But Drew and Margie, I want to thank both of you for your time today. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. And we look forward to speaking with you soon.
0: This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved.